jigsaw of traveling languages. This is Phantom Power. Caroline Bergval. How does one keep one's body as one's own? What does this mean but the relative safety of boundaries? Could I make sure that what I called my body would remain in the transit from other languages? That it would hold its progression into English? And because I didn't know and wasn't sure, and since for a great number of people, for an overwhelming number of persons, for an overwhelmingly large number of persons, for an always growing number of persons, this is far from self-evident. This is not self-evident. This does not apply. This doesn't even begin to figure. I never knew for sure. Some never had a body to call their own before it was taken away. Some had already a crop they could call their own for them blev it bort. Some never had a chance to feel a body as their own before it was taken away. Some aldri fick oppleve en kropp som sin egen for dem ble revet bort. Some never had a chance to know their body before it was taken away. Some aldri fick kjenne sin kropp for det ble revet bort. Some were never free to speak their body before it was taken up and taken away. Some aldri var fri till att se sin kropp för den blev löftet upp och revet bort. Some tried their body on to pleasure in it before it was taken up, beaten, violated, taken away. Some took sin kropp och för nyta den för den blev löftet upp, slått, kränket, revet bort. Some had their body for a time, then it too was taken away, or parts of it. Some had the synchropy antid, so blev den också revet bort eller delraden. Some thought they had their body safely, then were asked to leave it behind the door or parts of it. Some trodde att de tryckt hade synchrop, bara för att bli bett om att låta den bli en bakdörn eller delraden. Some hoped they had one safely, only to find it had to be left across the border or parts of it. Some hoped they tryckt hade en, bara för att inse att den måtte bli igen over gränsen eller delraden. Some wanted to leave their body behind and couldn't. Some önsket att lägga sin kropp bak sig och kunde Some could neither take it with them nor leave it behind. Some kunde varken ta den med sig eller lägga den igen. Some are laughed at, some spat out, some are dragged into the crowd, some be led out, be spitted out, some be trucked in, in mängden. Some bodies are forgotten in the language compounds. Some immense pressures applied onto the forgetting of the ecosystem some escape from. Some bodies, like languages, simply disappear. Nun kroppen liksom språk blir simpelthen borta. Some or many are being disappeared. Nun eller många är blivit borta. Some or many disappear. Nun eller många blir borta. Some or many that disappeared arise in some or many of us. Nun eller många som blev borta reiser sig i någon eller många av oss. 
som arise in some or many of us, nun reise sei nun eller mange av oss. Some that arise in some of us, arise in many of us, nun som reise sei nun av oss, reise sei i mange av oss. Some that arise in some of us, arrive in each of us, nun som reise sei nun av oss, kommet drem i hver av oss. It's Phantom Power. I'm Mac Haygood here with Chris Cheek. Chris, that was amazing. Unusual to hear more than one language inside a poem. Yeah, and there was something almost liturgical about it. The repetition of certain phrases, the cadences of it, it reminded me of my childhood in the Catholic Church. And given the, the subject matter, really appropriately solemn. Who's the poet? Caroline Bergval. That poem was called Crop from her book Medal English. Bergval writes borderlands among languages, material stories and creative communities into a plurilingual poetics. Translation written into it. So much about the politics of language and the kind of damage that is done to the human, particularly women in so many different situations, disappearings, silencings. We'll hear her introduce a piece called Shake from her most recent book, Drift, out from Night Boat Books. And finally, and most extensively, talk with Caroline Bergvall about an extraordinary new project, Ragadorn. Uh, I heard in that piece she was kind of switching between English and another language that I just was completely not familiar with. Norwegian. And you can glimpse... Yeah. Connections between these languages. Yeah, I could tell sometimes that she was repeating the English line in that other language. Right, she is repeating it as much as one can ever truly repeat in a different language. Right. Yeah. So you hear spat and then you hear spoot. Some are laughed at, some spat out, some are dragged into the crowd, some be led out, be spitted out, some be trukket in, in mengden. You hear those kinds of kinships yeah. between languages. It's like a making strange, right? Yeah, yeah. You recognize it, and then what happened? Yeah, yeah. What I is liked that? It. Did she just make that up? She's using, I don't know, a sort of distortion sound in the background. It's like a wash. Yeah, you know, which is great, thinking about this business of the migration of languages from one place to another, but it's also injecting noise. And that's very interesting and important too. That sense of signal-to-noise ratio that we have between and among languages. And among voices... Caroline, there's a deep kind of meditation going on here, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because if we, you and I talked about us 20 years ago, we would have, ha ha, you know, no, you know, never ever, I would never ever have used that term. <laughs> it was just like, no way, you know, because so much of the work might have had a very strong, as you know, embodied sense about it and physicality, but so much of it also had to do with the sexual identity and much more singularized bodies. And that the idea of the wounding, you know, was, you know, it's not something that I was talking about in relation to healing. I was much more perhaps interested in the wounding, you know, in the, in the wounds that we all have to go through in order to 
come to an understanding and an acceptance of the way we can build ourselves in, in the world. Whereas now, there's especially in Ragadon, but perhaps also in the final piece in Drift, the rise of melody at the end of Shake. her delivery uh-huh i like that too highly performative and um it doesn't have that detached you maybe call it poet voice <laughs> uh. <laughs> i get the sense that this is a poet that might appeal to poetry novices like myself that would be great <laughs> she would like that a lot it's not an arcane world mac we've had the black arts movement poetry and jazz Mm -hmm. We have the spoken word scene, which is massive. 
I think many people are exposed to more poetry than they realize. Maybe more poetry than they would like. Well, I certainly listen to a lot of hip-hop, so... Right! <laughs> exactly! Yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right, Chris, let's talk about Ragadon. What's the experience that the audience has? The audience needs to be facing the rising sun. The performance occurs at the hour of dawn. Mm. Sitting outside... Not in a theatre space in a conventional sense. The darkest hour is just before the dawn, as Bob <laughs> Dylan sang. They are watching the light appear in the sky and the day beginning uh, in that sense of dawn. At the same time as they are listening to a combination of speech and song and the places in between. The love poetry that had come from the Middle East, that had crossed the sea to Spain, southern Spain, and also Sicily, and that much later on became this troubadour, you know, this first vernacular um, love poetry, and then since then has become all these other traditions. But that travel that love poetry did is what I'm thinking about also when I'm thinking about community, connection, how do we speak love today? How would we want to do that? And then how do we face the day together? So, you know, I'm using the love poetry as part of the historic, trans-historic geographical trajectory that I want the, the, that, that the work is also taking. So it's that poetic heritage of singing the poem and of playing it, of being musicians and of traveling across all these different languages and cultures across all these centuries is, is also, if you like, it has created the absolute logic that holds this project together. What conditions are you looking for to be able to stage your performance of Ragadorn? Well, is facing for the audience. That's the only absolute condition. And ironically, you know, living in cities or even elsewhere, that's not always... That's not always easy to find because the second, it's not a condition, but it's a strong sort of um, claim that I like to make is the fact of the type of space that it is so that the way this, where we are when the sun rises basically is an important aspect of the work as well. In Geneva, what happened is that we could have done it on the lake, which we'd done as a, as a very first performance of it in 2015. Because there's a tradition of morning song and morning concerts or dawn concerts, they call them actually, in Geneva on the lake. And it's, it's stunning. It's so beautiful. Um, you know, the light is pink. It's just, it's fantastic. That beautiful cafe where it says poet. Exactly. It's exactly where that is, you know. So what we did then is that we were really thinking where to go, you know, for, for quite a while. And then in the end, we did it at the Museum of the Red Cross which overlooks the UN building. And then further away, you've got the mountains and the Mont Blanc and, you know, and it's, so again, the stunning aspect of, of, um, of Switzerland. Mont Blanc yet gleams on high. The power is there. The still and solemn power of many sights and many sounds. And at the same time, the very strong international institutional politics that you have in Geneva. So these are the conditions, the east-facing and then a site that carries a type of history that will make people also feel that they can and want to come, you know, that it's not sort of a locked-in space where the ritual takes place to 
just a few sort of art lovers, but actually that it's open, it's in a type of venue and, and advertise in such a way that they want to come there as part of that morning, basically. So. the aspects when it comes to the to the morning song is also the fact of me thinking about um, community the the disappearance of shared rituals as we know and shared secular rituals as well so that apart from use going to music concerts or festivals or where there's a lot of sort of ancient rituals that are manifested through still these these wider bigger festivals but I was thinking very much about something perhaps more intimate and was longing for this type of temporary community that can be created out of that I was thinking a lot about isolation and the sort of suicide hour which is at the breaking point you know in the early morning so I was thinking about all that uh, in relation to traditions of morning song and dawn rituals if she could talk a little bit about working on this project with the composer Gavin Bryars. Well, he accepted my invitation because all I wanted from him was vocal work. I only wanted him to write one song. And uh, he got very interested in that idea that he would be invited into this type of work and that he would literally only write a song. And of course, I sent him my text. And when we met the first time, he showed me his schools and he'd written songs for... Everywhere I'd put a question mark for song, he'd written a song. What has been amazing since then, I have to say, is that he has let me do with it exactly what I wanted. I've been very, very, very careful to always ask and to always seek out, you know, what do you think and how is it? But actually, I've also come to realize that he is very happy to trust the work. 
And I told him, you know, I don't think I want to use that bit of song. And he said, oh, that's totally fine. Um, and then he sings the same. She says, oh, we don't need to sing it like that, you know, that we can do it in that way. And then we look at that together. So he's been the most generous, I have to say, person to work with because he's given me very beautiful work, which is extremely lyrical in the sense of song, allowing me to to build my performance and then just to play and to place his song at the heart of it. He's a very generous collaborator and what we're doing now is that we are planning an evening song an evening work together um, and that's wonderful oh my 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 your description of of what this performance is like i mean i really am once again getting that sense of a ritual i mean she's talking about secular ritual and i think that's an important aspect to emphasize here but ritual in relation to the structure of the day has been a hugely important aspect of people's lives yeah and it's it's one that has been completely restructured and detached by capitalism and modernity from our biorhythms. We have electric light at the night and, you know, we have all kinds of sleep problems to, to show for it. (laughs) But yeah, that sense of, of a, a ritualistic connection to the world is really lacking. Even for those of us who aren't religious, don't want to be religious, but, or maybe particularly for those of us, And so I I really like this idea that she's trying to create some kind of secular religious space. I mean, I even think about music and the way that these huge festivals have replaced seeing bands on a more regular basis. You know, these bands aren't even allowed to come to your local town because they've played a major festival 200 miles away within the last six months. So contractually, they can't come play the small club at your town. So you have to sort of gorge yourself on music once or twice a year. And then it's kind of not around so much, depending on where you live. When I was looking for some of the other realities of the work, and it took me a long time to find it, but when I finally hit on it, 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 it just cut all the way back into this idea of setting up shared space with strangers and thinking about ancient uh, rituals uh, and sort of the the idea of the temporary community in relation to that. This idea of uh, languages present in our localities, but that we might not be, for many different reasons, that our communities or that communities are sort of always excising or silencing a number of languages. And of course, we know why. I mean, there's a lot of prejudice, as we know, and racism towards a lot of immigrant communities for a long time. The degrading 
of of ancient local languages, you know, Welsh and local dialects that also have been sort of take, you know, sort of slowly disappeared. So there was also that sense then of reclaiming the sites of languages. So, you know, suddenly you have the different sites piling on. You have the geographical political site. You have the, it's got to have some kind of a direction, a time of year and a direction for the rising sun. It's got to have a time in the morning where people will come. And there is the soil, the ground, uh, or the the, the sounding or the non-sounding of uh, languages around wherever we are that I wanted to bring out. Because when you are standing at Southampton and you know about the Windrush... The MV Empire Windrush arrived at Tilbury Docks in Essex the 22nd of June 1948, bringing workers from Commonwealth countries, effectively British colonies, as a response to post-war labour shortages. Weeping... If you wake up and you're weeping, weep until you're empty, until you're completely empty. You also know that it's one of the biggest sort of sea communities in the countries that are located there, and then you suddenly hear. Uh, some Punjabi in the work um, and you have that east-facing sun taking place in this sort of fairly deprived areas where you have a lot of conditions that are already in place before the work has even started. You know, before the work is even being performed, uh, it, it has already set up so many different conditions that people are aware of a lot of aspects. So that more people that are less expected as audiences can find their way to the work. Recordings are extremely different, um, very, very different. One was sort of an open scape in Geneva, 
very open with forests around and hard buildings and a glass building behind us, quite hard sound. And then the one in in the in England, in South End, which was literally on the water and a long platform. So very, very different sound. That is the nature of site-specific work, and it's especially when you have so much language in there, like not even my language but the language of all these languages that I'm currently recording, that I want to find some sense that it's not just, oh, God, that sounds great. Hey, you know, I don't understand a word of it. That for somebody who speaks Romansh or speaks Punjabi, well, they can, there's something to grasp as much as the way we might have handled it sonically. So um, absolutely, it will create a weird jigsaw of iterations, of language languages placed in more... Uh, dominance than in other sites, perhaps, uh, and then um, the, the the sites themselves. Up we get. 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 So a lot of what I'm telling you is is embedded in the project of the work, in the trajectory of the work, but don't necessarily make it to the surface of its texts, you know. Um, It's not from my voice. Um, It could be that it gets much more unearthed by the voices of the conversations and the other languages because we can hear the tonalities of spoken languages, you know. So that creates that other jigsaw of traveling languages, basically. Um, But for my part, I felt that what is it that I would like to hear in the early morning? And when you talked about the word healing, well, there was something about this idea of self-care and this idea of meeting the day um, in the shape that we have, which is this physical, energetic shape of, you know, through body and mind, etc. And therefore, I was really thinking about... um, this this very strong ritual performative language which is the language of mantras (laughs) 
there's a lot of use inside what I've heard of Ragadorn of breath, closely mic'd breath, breath rhythm, that sense of breathing space. The quote that I wrote down was, by what degree of awareness do I appear to appear? that have shaken your resolve too fearful to sleep too scared to wake up which I think is wonderful both in terms of language and in terms of sound and light mm. yeah thank you that's a that that is one of the few texts of the work actually and it's part of this section called awake you know it's a song around that there's a lot of breath obviously because of thinking about mantras, early morning, waking up, uh, you know, getting the body in action. And then also for me, the, the, the this, I've, I've been pursuing an interest in breathing as a connector uh, in poetic practice since, you know, a few years now. And there was this one piece called Together, which was a commission by the uh, Museum of yeah. Contemporary Art in Geneva for Art's birthday in you know, mid-January every year. And that was going to be broadcast, uh, again, in a non-English context, although being an English-based writer or writing in English, uh, you know, so I think a lot about what are the connectors in language that we have apart from articulate sounds that might be differential? Well, of course, breathing, which marks the syntax uh, as much as it marks the fact that, you know, we breathe uh, all the time while we listen, while we're speaking, and that, in fact, the speaking is often based in slow exhalation. So there's always that. So that piece together is based on that, where, where breathing is an explicit part of the of the work. Yeah. And the, I mean, when I read those live, one of them doing it together, I can read it for, I've taught myself how to read it now, and I can read it for about 10 minutes. But what is extraordinary about that is that I start reading it when, you know, I can see where the breath goes in the crowd. Now, some people get very agitated, but overall, people get really like you can see the breathing gets starts to take over the listening. So they start to this. It's I can't. It's difficult to explain, but it's basically I can hear and feel everybody's breathing, and when I can feel it, then you know that's when I sort of the the rhythm of the of the piece live changes completely because it really moves into that sense of a breathing that becomes this thing we all share 
which is the space of breathing. And so that has been a very, that was a very important piece for me because I found myself for the first time speaking, I mean, with no voiced sound uh, and literally just breathing the piece, you know, with people. So listen to where Caroline puts the breath in the shaping of this phrase and hum or sing along with her as she plays us out. One step at a time. One kiss at a time. One action at a time. One and one and one and one doing it together 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 doing it, 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 together doing And that's it for another episode of Phantom Power. Thanks to Caroline Bergvall for coming on the show. This episode made use of work-in-progress on-site recordings in Geneva and London from the song poem Ragadon. Concept, text, and performance by Caroline Bergvall. 
songs by Gavin Bryars, sung by Pei Yi Chen, with live sound compositions from Nick Rothwell and sound engineer Sam Grant. We also heard Up We Get, created with David Scrifari for the introductory section of the Solstice performance Love Song in 2015. We also heard Together Doing It, breath and voice piece in three parts. Anne Guillot on bass clarinet, commissioned by the Mamco Museum Geneva and Espace 2 National Swiss Radio, produced by Anne Guillot. We also heard OSIS, first created for the city and the city at Wood Street Galleries Pittsburgh to accompany a wall of broadsides from Middling English, recorded at All Saints Chapel, Blackheath. We also heard Shake, text by Carolyn Bergvall, sound and live percussion by Inger Zach. You can find a link to Caroline Bergvall's website, learn more about Phantom Power, and find transcripts and previous episodes of the show, all at phantompod.org. You can also subscribe to our show there or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you'd rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Pod. Thanks to our intern, Gina Moravec. Phantom Power is produced with support from the Robert H. and Nancy J. Blaney Endowment, the Miami University Humanities Center, and the National Endowment for the Humanities.